From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, Senator Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, had said the Senate would be voting to proceed to a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. But Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell said, eh, not so fast. So obviously, if the Democratic leader tries to force a cloture vote on a bill that does not exist, it will fail. Around here, we typically write the bills before we vote customs. And uh, the vote did take place earlier today, and it did fail. We'll talk about it with Montana Senator Steve Daines. Also, starting in 2023, every public university in California will be required to provide chemical abortion bills to their students. Now think about that. Required in California with taxpayer funding in public universities. This legislation aims to stop that from expanding and indeed hopefully we can you know impress upon the people of california to turn back on this foolish path that they're taking in california that was texas congressman chip roy leading a group of pro-life lawmakers to stop chemical abortions on college campuses across america we'll talk about it with illinois congresswoman mary miller who's helping lead that effort. And it appears lawmakers in Louisiana were two votes shy of the needed 70 in the House of Representatives to override Governor John Bell Edwards' veto of the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. FRC's Kena Gonzalez, Senior Director of Government Affairs, is here with those details a little later. And here we go again. After almost every election cycle, the media regurgitates the narrative that evangelicals are dying off and their influence is waning. The Public Religion Research Institute is the latest, and we'll unpack their survey with uh, George Barna later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. Let me encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay in touch with us, not only listening to Washington Watch, but we send out action alerts through that app. Again, that's Stand Firm and the App Store. And tonight, be sure and tune in 8 p.m. Eastern time for our weekly edition of Pray Vote Stand. Tonight, Congressman Alex Mooney will be joining us, Pastor Hotney L. Perez, as well as Pastor Frank Lopez will be focusing on what is happening in Cuba. In fact, uh, Pastor Perez will be joining us live from Cuba, giving us an update on what's happening on the streets there. So you don't want to miss that. Again, that's 8 p.m. Eastern time, Pray Vote Stand Org. Earlier today, Republican senators rejected an effort to begin debate on the yet-to-be-completed bipartisan infrastructure bill. This thing is about $1.2 trillion. And uh, the Republicans said they can't support cloture for something they're still talking over, still working on, and still negotiating. Here is uh, another clip of uh, what Senator McConnell had to say today. But these discussions have yet to conclude. There's no outcome yet, no bipartisan agreement, no text, nothing for the Congressional Budget Office to evaluate, and certainly nothing on which to vote. Not yet. So obviously, if the Democratic leader tries to force a cloture vote on a bill that does not exist, it will fail. Around here, we typically write the bills before we vote customs. 
Again, that was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell commenting on the procedural vote that uh, Senator Chuck Schumer pushed for earlier today to get the ball rolling. And uh, as I mentioned, that vote failed on the Senate floor. Joining me now to talk more about this is Senator Steve Daines of Montana, who serves on the Senate Finance Committee, the Banking, House, Housing and Urban Affairs Committee, as well as the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Tony. Uh, it was kind of like deja vu back to Obamacare where Nancy Pelosi says we pass it, then we'll decide uh, to read it and find out what's in it. I mean, but this wasn't even created before uh, Chuck Schumer was pushing forward for a debate on the bill. Tony, it's just remarkable how reckless and irresponsible the Democrats are being since President Biden was elected. And to start off, when they move forward, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, opening up the southern border, and we're starting to see the consequences of those decisions but in this case, on this bill today, there's no text. There's no what they call pay for. In other words, how are they going to pay for this $1.2 trillion? Nothing has been firmly developed. So you saw every single Republican vote no. Say no. We have no business proceeding even with debate on this until you actually have bill text to debate. But the bottom line on this, Tony, is this is just the, the warm-up. This is the hors d'oeuvres for the main course the Democrats are salivating over, and that's the $3.5 trillion. That's with a T, this bill that Bernie Sanders is the primary architect of that will not only let it be reckless, massive spending, massive tax increases, massive increases to the deficit, massive effects on inflation in our country, but that's what they can't wait to get to. If there's something the Democrats do really, really well, that is they know how to spend and they know how to raise taxes. Now, uh, President Biden, and I'm not quite sure where he is today on this because he seems to change his uh, opinions and walk things back, but he had said he's not going to sign this uh, $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan if he doesn't get Bernie's $3.5 trillion. So uh, even though they're two separate bills, are they still being viewed in tandem? Well, that's what it appears to be, Tony, uh, very much in tandem. So, so add that up. You know, one, $1.2 trillion is, is step one. Take $3.5 trillion, that's step two. Uh, and, and in reality, that $3.5 trillion bill the Gem Democrats want to jam through the Senate and the House is actually bigger than that because what they have done is they put some, there'll be new entitlements that go out for five years. But the reality is those will continue on beyond five years and probably be there forever, as Ronald Reagan talked about, uh, the forever programs of, of, of federal government. So th I think the real price tag is much bigger than that. The Wall Street Journal said it's something north of $5 trillion. Tony, these are numbers that are mind-boggling. And, and what's going on now is, of course, we got inflation in the economy, the greatest inflation we've had in 13 years. Inflation is really a tax on the American people. It's the most regressive kind of tax because those can, who can afford it the least are impacted the most with inflation. You throw another $5 trillion of spending into the economy, you know what's going to happen. It's going to put more inflationary pressure. Wait, wait, wait. Senator, Senator, now the president yesterday said that's not going to happen. Uh, the pre or not yesterday, I think it was on Monday he made those comments. The president said his additional spending is actually going to help bring down prices. It's going to keep inflation in check. Yeah, I will tell you what, even uh, former uh, Treasury officials and leaders in the Obama administration would disagree 
with President Biden. You can't defy the laws of gravity, Tony. That's what's going on. And when you inject that amount of federal spending into the economy, uh, we're already starting to see the effects, the greatest inflation we've seen again in 13 years. I can't imagine what will happen here if they're successful in pushing another $5 trillion into this economy over a relatively short period of time. You know, Senator Daines, as I was looking at the process, just the process, uh, let's put aside uh, the vast numbers, the huge numbers we're talking about, uh, the irresponsible spending. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even know how you spend that much money, quite frankly. I, I just don't know how you do it. But for a senator to move forward with a bill that doesn't even exist in name only uh, concept is to me like running around with a checkbook where you've already signed the checks, but the pay to is not filled out nor is the amount. I mean, it's so irresponsible. I don't think any American in their right mind would do that with their personal checkbook. But that's essentially what senators are being being asked to do when they vote for bills that don't even exist in text. Tony, it's completely irresponsible. It's reckless. And, And the sad reality is the American people are going to be hurt by what's going on in Washington, D.C., The challenge we face, Tony, this liberal, socialist, far-left agenda, which is now the center of gravity for the Democrats, uh, they are just giddy. They're giddy to be able to have a chance here to push out these tax increases. They love to raise taxes. They love to spend money. But the scale of which they're looking at today is what's so dangerous. This will be the most significant, largest tax increase in our nation's history. This will be the largest spending bill in the nation, in our nation's history. So you, you start running out of superlatives, Tony, to describe right. this. I just come back to the bottom line. It's incredibly irresponsible. It's very reckless. Senator Daines, do you, you think people are, because of what happened during the coronavirus, where we had these huge relief bills that came through, that people have almost become numb to this and people aren't paying attention? They don't know the significance of what we're talking about? It, it's almost as if Washington, D.C. has become desensitized to the scale of these numbers. Remember, right after President Biden was elected, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and President Biden pushed through on a purely partisan basis another two trillion dollar COVID relief package, which was not needed. We still had a trillion dollars of unspent uh, funds from coming out from the last year. We did not need to push another two trillion dollars out the door. The Democrats did that solely on a on a party line vote. So you had that two trillion. You got one and a half trillion now uh, up at the plate at the moment. Three and a half trillion dollars more on deck. Tony, these numbers are are, are mind boggling. I'll tell you who's cheering right now. It's the Chinese. They're watching what we're doing. We're unilaterally disarming in this country by raising taxes to make us less competitive, pushing jobs back overseas, creating inflationary pressures, which which really shrinks the paycheck of the American people. These are dangerous times. This is recklessness by the left. We must do everything we can to stop it. And by the way, it just takes one, one Democrat to stop this, just one. Because they'll, they'll pass this purely on a 50-50 kind of vote. If one Democrat stands up, has the courage to push back, we can stop this. And, and that debt that we're acquiring with this massive spending is, uh, is like uh, shackles, uh, on not only on our economy, but from a standpoint of national defense. We've only got so much money, and, and it makes us vulnerable in many ways. I, I want to get to the Protecting Life on College Campuses Act, because yeah. you're the lead sponsor in the Senate. You were at that press conference that I played a clip of earlier of uh, Chip Roy. 
Um, d- describe for us why this is, what it, this is about. Yeah, well, I was so proud to be there with Congressman Chip Roy and Congresswoman Mary Miller. Uh, she, by the way, she's a mother of seven, a grandmother of 17. And, uh, and we stood there standing on behalf of the most vulnerable. These are called chemical abortions. What that means, it's pills. It's two pills that a young woman can take. Uh, they're dangerous. It induces an abortion. And by the way, Tony, 7% of the women that take those abortion-inducing pills need some kind of surgery. So it's very dangerous. Here's what's going on. California now is pushing that says by 2023, all colleges there and universities in California have to offer these abortion pills. This basically is turning our college dorms and our colleges into abortion clinics. This would stop that. What it would do is it would say, hey, if a university does this, you cut off their federal funding because what happens in crazy California can start to spread across this country. We want to stop it. We must continue to protect all life, no matter how small. And we've seen that fact, that reality that what starts in California does not stay there. Senator Steve Daines, always great to talk with you. Thanks once again for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thanks, Tony. Congressman Steve Daines of Montana. Website, TonyPerkins.com. Okay, when we come back, we're actually going to continue our conversation about what's happening on those college campuses in California because Mary Miller, Congresswoman from Illinois, mother of, uh, grandmother of 17, joins us next. She's uh, helping Chip Roy lead this effort uh, in the House. Also coming up a little bit later, going to be joined by George Barn, a breakdown, one of the recent polls surveys, I should say, saying that uh, the influence of evangelicals is waning. Heard that before? So many times. We're going to talk about it. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. 
Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as uh, we were just talking in the last segment uh, with Senator Steve Daines of Montana, legislation was uh, introduced earlier today to prohibit federal funds from going to any college or university with a campus health clinic that provides abortion, abortions or abortion drugs. Now, there was a press conference uh, earlier today. Congressman Chip Roy and Congresswoman Mary Miller have introduced the companion bill on the House side. So you've got a Senate sponsor, Steve Daines, on the House side, Chip Roy and Congresswoman Mary Miller leading the effort. At that press conference earlier today, Congressman Roy had this to say regarding the legislation and its importance. Because it's not just a case of California gone crazy, but it's a preview of what is to come if good people do nothing. The legislation like the California's has been proposed in other states, and it's only a matter of time before other abortion extremists attempt to pass it in their states. We believe that this is something that is critically important for the health and well-being of young women. We shouldn't be a country where we take women at their most vulnerable time, and they're young, they've gone off to college in this case we're talking about, and essentially allow for there to be chemically induced abortions for a do-it-yourself abortion and what that does to the psychology of the young woman and what that does for, obviously, the life of the unborn. Joining me now to talk about the Protecting Life on College Campus Act of 2021 and more is Congresswoman Mary Miller, who represents the 15th Congressional District of the state of Illinois. Uh, Congresswoman, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and an honor to be co sponsor of this important legislation. Well, let's talk about this uh, legislation. Um, you know, some on the left say they're the ones that speak for women uh, mm-hmm. and, and women want reproductive freedom. And, and a measure like this is simply a solution in search of a problem. What would you say to that? Well, it's just not true. And I brought up today that God is about life and the truth and Satan's about death and lying and the abortion industry is about death and lying and it's most unfortunate there's you know just tens of millions of babies that aren't with us and wounded women 
I've talked to many of them, and even recently in the last couple of years, um, women that have been on campus and thought they were told that this is a safe, easy, painless way to take care of their pregnancy, and they were they were number one self focused and foolish and uneducated about what they were actually um, doing. So it's not safe and painless, and it damages women physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The the evidence of that is overwhelming, but that yeah. is, in fact, the case. From your conversations with uh, many of these women, is it your opinion that those abortion providers, those that are providing these chemical abortions and other others on the college campuses are misleading these women down this path? Definitely. And we actually heard the testimony of a young woman today who was in high school and and I think she was 18. She said she was afraid to tell her parents and she took the pill and well, took both pills and then nothing happened. But then a couple months later, she was in class and started bleeding and passing, you know, giant um, blood clots and, um, you know, almost died and gave her testimony of basically she was injured physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, but she did say in her situation, which is a little unusual, that, uh, wherever she went, the state she was in, different states have different laws. Um, she had a sonogram. I think she said she was seven weeks, but she said they were very reticent. They didn't want her to see it. When they did show it to her, they uh, affirmed to her that it wasn't a baby. And then she did take the pill went home and took the second one, but um, they are preying on vulnerable women that are afraid. And like I say, definitely motivated by self, but um, you know, they're young women, they're not mature and they live to regret it. Congressman Miller, this issue of life, the sanctity of life. And then of course the others on the other side would say abortion rights uh, or I'm sorry, reproductive rights that this is a clear line of distinction between the two parties. I mean, you've got one party that, as you were out there with your colleagues today, speaking on behalf of life, and you have another that's advocating to force Americans to pay for it, to be a party to it. Uh, they want to fund Planned Parenthood. I mean, this is black and white from right. where the two political parties stand today. Well, clearly, they don't want it to be rare. They're definitely promoting it. And they are not promoting informed choice is another thing. And I've said before that whoever controls the information controls the people. And they're, you know, they're not informing the women. I've heard, which you may know, large statistics, one man that um, goes to a pregnancy or an abortion clinic by St. Louis told me that 90% of the women that actually have a sonogram change their mind. Now, I know I believe Missouri requires a sonogram and Illinois does not, um, but they're preying on vulnerable women. Yes, there's no question technology has brought us to this point where a majority of Americans now view uh, life as, uh, you know, something valuable to be protected. A majority, uh, at least a plurality, see mm -hmm. themselves as pro-life. And it's technology. It's, a, it's, it's over 80 percent of women who will choose life Science once on they our see side. Yes, they want absolutely. It's all about science. This is science. It kind of reminds me, um, I believe, uh, whenever back in the 1800s, when Louis Pasteur was trying to inform the medical community about germ theory, what he saw in the microscope. And those doctors at that time 
prided themselves on how much blood they wiped on their aprons. They'd go do an autopsy, you know, get the blood on it. Then they'd go deliver a baby and they were passing diseases and he tried to tell them. And because he had the mechanism, he had the microscope and he saw it, but they rejected him. They mocked him. Who are you? You're not a doctor. Go back to your lab. And, you know, we're doing the same thing today. Like our, talk about Stone Age. They're rejecting the truth that you can see on the sonogram. We know it. it we're on the side of science. Right. And they're rejecting science in more than one area. Uh, there's and no question about it. And we're on God's it. side. And we're on the side of the uh, good for, of our nation because our children are the hope of our nation. And they, yes. well, they're everything for our nation. Congresswoman Mary Miller, we're out of time. we got to leave it there. But let me ask you to do, do me a favor. Don't ever lose your candor. Uh, you oh, see okay. it clearly and you speak it clearly. And I appreciate that. And it's so good to have you on Capitol Hill. Thank so go you. away, folks. We're coming back after this. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. All right, uh, the next measure we're going to talk about, I'm going to bring in, uh, in just a moment, Kana Gonzalez. He's FRC Senior Director of Government Affairs. Uh, The app, the Stand Firm app, I encourage you to download that app for a couple of reasons. One, no matter where you are, you can be alerted to Washington Watch, so you can listen whether you're within earshot of one of the 800 stations that carry us or not. But more importantly is that it is a tool for activists. 
And frankly, we should all be activists. Our republic was made for participants, not spectators. If you want to be a spectator, well, I was going to say go to a baseball game, but I wouldn't go to that. I wouldn't support professional sports, given their wokeness today, but that's beside the point. This app will, if you sign up for it, you will get alerts for state issues as well as national issues. It will give you links so that you can go straight to uh, a site and send an email or get the phone number to call your elected officials. It will tell you what the issue is and give you the talking points so you understand that issue and can communicate. That's important. And why it's important is because what just happened earlier today in my home state of Louisiana, where I served in the legislature a number of years ago, there was a bill uh, almost identical to the bill in South Dakota, where a Republican governor, Kirstie Noem, vetoed that bill uh, early in the year. Well, in Louisiana, passed overwhelmingly in both the House and the Senate, and a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, vetoed the bill there. Well, the legislature did something they had never done before since the adoption of the 1974 Constitution. They called themselves into a veto override session. Yesterday, the Senate successfully overrode the veto of the governor by a vote of 26 to 12. However, today, when the bill went to the House, it fell two votes shy of the 70 votes needed to override the governor's veto. It was along party lines, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because there's 68 Republicans in the House, 70 were needed. Joining me now with more on this is Kena Gonzalez, as I mentioned, Senior Director of Government Affairs. Kena, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you. Okay, what else uh, did I miss on that Louisiana vote? You, you about caught it. It, uh, it passed overwhelmingly the first time around with bipartisan support. Supporters of the bill yesterday and today were on the House and Senate floor, Senate yesterday, House today, touting that bipartisan support and touting the overwhelming support of Louisianans who don't want to see uh, women and girls having to compete against biological males in sports. But unfortunately, enough Democrats uh, in the House today caved to the pressure from the governor that we know was coming. And uh, just just two votes were just two votes shy of overriding his veto. And um, it was an interesting debate on the floor. There wasn't a long debate, but Representative Schlegel uh, did a really good job presenting the bill today, didn't present all of the contours of the bill. They've already debated this bill four times. And so she just pointed out that this is about biology and reality. And it was interesting to listen. Even the Democrats advocating against the bill on the floor of the House today got that right. They said this bill is about biology, but they still caved to the political pressure and voted essentially with the governor. I don't have the list in front of me, but we'll try to uh, to get it for those in Louisiana. This is what I would say of those Democratic members who voted for this in the regular session and helped pass it and changed their vote this time. Uh, as uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was that said, you got some splaining to do. I think that was from uh, Lucille Ball. Um, because this was uh, clearly nothing changed other than the political pressure uh, on this uh, issue. So um, I, I assume at this point it is uh, it is dead for this legislative uh, special session. We think so. That's that's what it looks like, Tony. 
All right. Uh, uh, other measures uh, that they're working on that you're aware of in the session that uh, is st- are still percolating? Um, not in Louisiana. I am, uh, we are, our whole team here, uh, is, are tracking a number of these bills, as you know, all across the states. Um, this year, I was just looking today to, to refresh my memory, but we have seen this bill or a bill like it introduced this year in 35 states. It was enacted in nine of those. Um, last year, there were only 10 introduced and only one enacted, and that one was enjoined in court. So this is a really good example of a good bill that starts small, and, and grows year over year. So at best, this is halftime, and they'll be back next year with uh, more of these measures. Um, information uh, coming out today, we're almost out of time, but information coming out of Arkansas regarding the SAFE Act. Yeah, the SAFE Act is the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Uh, regular listeners will remember this is the bill in Arkansas, the act now that would prevent um, gender transition procedures from being done to minors who are not old enough to make an adult life-changing decision, Tony. And um, uh, not unexpectedly, a federal judge uh, issued a temporary enjoinment, but we're very grateful that the um, injunction, but we're very grateful that the attorney general will be defending the law vigorously in court. In fact, um, you've got a number of attorney generals that are speaking out on behalf. In fact, a total of 17 attorney generals being led by the Alabama attorney general who's going to be joining us, I think, on Monday to talk about this uh, measure. Kana Gonzalez, always great to talk with you. Like the tie. Thanks. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to uh, one of these surveys. You know, they come out almost every four years about how there's a decline of evangelicals. They're waning. Their influence is waning. They're dying off. They're, they're you know, you, you know the story. We're going to talk about it with George Barna. And I'm going to give you a little historic perspective here on this. So don't go away. Tune back in. Don't go anywhere. We're coming back. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. 
Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Again, uh, download that app, Stand Firm app. You can find it in the uh, the app stores. All right. Um, the Public Research, the Public Religion Research Institute released a, uh, a detailed study earlier this month on the religious affiliations of people in America. And what has stood out most is how there are now reportedly more white mainland white white mainline Protestants than white evangelical Protestants for the first time since at least 2006. Now, before you jump to conclusions, there are several items that should be considered. I will tell you what I think this is, and then we'll get the uh, the opinion of the expert here in a moment. But I actually wrote about this in a book I wrote um, probably about 15 years ago with um, the late Bishop Harry Jackson, Personal Faith Public Policy. And I, I went back all the way back to the start of what we would call the, the modern moral majority, back to, uh, to the 1980s, when as soon as uh, that was Dr. Jerry Falwell who began that. And it was like every cycle you, could, you, you would see these articles that were talking about how the religious right is uh, losing its influence. It can't get organized. Uh, It went through the Reagan administration, post-Reagan administration. In fact, I've got a couple of the articles here. Uh, Right after Thanksgiving in 1990, um, the Washington Post ran this headline, Bloom is off religious rights. Scholars at conference agree movement criticized for lacking political finesse. It went on to say the religious right has fallen on hard times, torn by sectarian divisions, hindered by the uneasiness of some in its rank with coalition building, and on and on it goes. Uh, and, and that continues. Um, and uh, and you, you might recall this one. This was a famous one for those of you around. This was in uh, February 1st of 1993. It was three years after that. Uh, when the movement didn't go away, uh, they had the... Uh, this is that article in the Washington Post that said they were that the religious right 
largely poor, uneducated, and easy to command, uh, how they describe this. And it goes on. I mean, every election cycle, we, uh, we see this. So I'm not surprised by this at all. Not to say that there's not change going on. I do think there is change. But I think you got to be very careful what is read into these numbers. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, George Barna, senior fellow with FRC Center for Biblical Worldview. George, welcome back to the uh, program. Good to be with you, Tony. All right, you know something about numbers, uh, and you know how numbers can be used. You know the questions that can be asked. Uh, Is there a pattern that we see uh, where... I'm not. I'm not denying there's some movement. There's some changes. That's that's always happening. But are, is there a pattern out there that's just trying to discourage Christians, saying that their numbers are dwindling, they're falling off, their influence is decreasing? So uh, just give it up. You know, Tony. I think that a lot of research is kind of like lies in that when you look at an effective lie, it mixes truth and deceit. And so I think sometimes we see numbers that may be accurate, statistically speaking, but it is because of the sample that was chosen, or it's because of the way that questions were asked, or the sequence within which questions were asked, or a number of other things that are part of the whole research design process. And so you literally could get pretty much any answer you want if you were willing to skew the process. Now, I'm not saying the PRRI skewed the process. I will say that having read a variety of their studies over the last 20 years, from my vantage point, their analyses tend to skew a bit to the left. So this doesn't surprise me. And, and of course, when you look at how they measure things, I think there are two kind of questions we need to be asking about their measurements. Number one, are they asking the same questions the same way over the course of time? That's one of the things that you need to have in order to compare over time. And to their credit, yes, I think they have been asking the same questions. The second thing you've got to look at, though, is are they asking the right questions? And this is where I think we have some issues, because, for example, we know that, that in their studies, when they talk about mainliners, They're talking about anybody who claims to be Protestant and who does not claim to be either born again or evangelical by self-report. Two issues there. One is that it's self-report, which has a lot of problems that we could talk about. Uh, But the other is that that's not really how you define a mainline uh, Protestant Christian by simply saying, okay, if you do not have this particular quality we're going to call you a mainliner. So I think there are some issues with the way that that things are being measured here and perhaps with some of the analysis as well. Well, in terms, I mean, you you and I have talked about this a lot of times, even the term evangelical has changed over the last decade, last two Mm -hmm. decades. And in fact, even male and female, that has changed over the last uh, couple of decades. So everything's changing. Uh, But let, let me go back to uh, I, I probably should have done this before I jumped into my criticism of the poll, but let me just, over, overall, this is what the poll says. Uh, Americans' religiosity overall has declined significantly in recent years, but even against that backdrop, the decline is sizable. 
Over this span, white evangelical Christians' share of the population has declined by 37% compared with 8% for white non-evangelical Protestants and 27% for white Catholics. The decline is also very notable, uh, notably continued over the past three years, despite a slight rebound in these other groups. The result, there are now more white non-evangelical Protestants than evangelical ones for the first time since the last since uh, the last one in 2006. So let's go back to the to, to the terms, and, and that's why we use the term uh, when we're looking for sage cons, spiritually active, governance engaged. You know, we're looking for for definitions. We're looking for for titles, for for labels, whatever you want to call them, that actually define something. Evangelical has become so elastic. Many people have jettisoned. I I don't know that I would. I don't use the term to describe myself as evangelical. I describe myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I think I, I, I'm not denying that there's some changes that are happening. And, and I think the church has to do more in terms of evangelism. But I also think some people, when you do self-reporting, are describing themselves in a different way that's not being measured correctly. Well, and to that point, Tony, I mean, for years, uh, you know, when I had the Barna Research Group, and then when I sold that and started doing uh, research independently, and now at the Cultural Research Center, I never asked people whether or not they consider themselves to be born again, or whether they think they're evangelicals, unless I simply want to compare that to those people who I think actually do meet those criteria. But the criteria isn't about self-report. It has to be about what you believe and how you live. And so, oh, probably a good 35 years ago, I started defining evangelicals based on what the National Association of Evangelicals said were the hallmarks of evangelical churches. And so it it had to do with their belief in and their trust in the Bible as being the accurate Word of God. It had to be with the definition of who God is, you know, the the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules it today. Uh, being born again? No, it has to do with what do you think will happen to you after you die and why. And so we have more detailed questions that we ask. When I use a series of seven questions that come out of NAE's statement of faith, what we discover is that only about six to maybe seven percent of the adult population should be classified as evangelical Christians. Now, compare that to what a place like PRRI or many other research firms get by simply saying, do you consider yourself to be evangelical or born again? And by the way, they combine the two, which is another Mm -hmm. error. But, uh, you know, they'll come up with 30 to 35 percent, which I would estimate is probably five to six times more than we actually have in the United States. So there's a lot of noise in that measurement simply by allowing people to define what the term means. All right. In, in 2000, post-2016, after the election, you wrote a book about how, uh, and help me with the title, The Day That Christians, the day Christians changed, America. changed America. Right. Yeah. The Day Christians um, Changed America. And, and that was their influence of living out their faith. It was the sage cons. It was those people that were out there that from their faith were engaged. Tell me how in four short years we could go to where this was a influential group of people that uh, continued to be here, and I think have expanded their numbers to some degree, went from being an influencer to now being on the on life support, uh, which would, I mean, that this is the type of narrative we get from this. And, and of course, I, I will go, I'll jump ahead. The, what's been written about this poll is that 
evangelicals have left the faith because of the engagement of evangelicals with Donald Trump is the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big jump that, frankly, the data doesn't support. Those, those are two very different tracks of activity, and we don't see that in the research that we've been doing. Uh, mm-hmm. If anything, we, we kind of see the opposite. So, um, you know, I, I think there are some significant changes that are happening because of uh, generational shifts. And so it is true that millennials are much less likely to be evangelical. They're much less likely to be born again. They're much less likely to have a biblical worldview. They're much less likely to attend church. So those are real issues that mm-hmm. as the church of Jesus Christ, we, we've got to address those issues. But then to jump ahead and say, and because of that, or what, what some sociologists would call the browning of America, meaning that you know, you've got the black population, the Asian population, and the Hispanic population that are growing, while the proportion of our population that's white is decreasing. So that may have some impact as well, absolutely. But let, let's not conflate these various elements that, that we want to measure. Sage well, con- let, 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 let me just stop you. Let me stop you right there, because I, I, I want to go, because this was an issue in this last election, where we see uh, um, Hispanic and Black Americans leaving the Democratic Party because of their liberal social policy. So I'm I'm finding very interesting that they always want to segment or segregate white evangelicals because, uh, and again, I don't like the term evangelical because I don't think it's accurate, but followers of Christ are not just white. You've got black, you've got Hispanic, and when they come together, it's a much bigger number than what the media and others want to report. Yeah, I, I think clearly there are a lot of measurement issues related to uh, how the data were put together. And, you know, earlier you even mentioned that that uh, Washington Post report, I think it was, talked about the fact that there was a 37 percent decline. Well, that's one way of putting it. The other way of putting it was there's an eight percentage point decline. Now, which one is more likely to grab your attention? You know, taking a small number and a small shift and dividing, you know, one small number into another small number and coming up with a big number or simply recognizing that, yeah, there's been a decline if you're going to mismeasure it the way that it's being measured. But even then, that decline has been eight percentage points, not nearly as dramatic as, you know, 37% decline sounds. Okay, George Barna, we just got a couple minutes left. And I'm not disputing at all that we have change taking place. Things are always changing. And I agree with you. We've got an issue with millennials and in the Gen Zers and whatever else we're calling them down there now. Uh, the the reality is we're not doing a good a good job of building worldview and passing our faith along as parents. And I'm using that universally. I'm intentional in that, and we've got to be intentional. What do we need to be doing? And this is this is apart from politics. I don't care about the politics. That takes care of itself if we take care of the heart issues and the faith issues. Well, I mean, that's a much longer discussion, but part of it is that what we find is people who are leaving evangelical churches are doing so because they say it appears that their church is more interested in numerical growth than in the spiritual depth of the people in those churches. And so in the last two election cycles, we found enormous numbers of people in those kinds of churches who were saying, I don't want my pastor to tell me who to vote for, but I'm dying for my pastor to teach me how to think biblically about the issues. What does the Bible say about immigration, about crime, about any number of different issues? 
And our research with the pastors showed that most pastors say, well, I know the Bible speaks to those issues, but I'm not going to. Too controversial. We're going to lose people. You know, it's, it's only going to cause conflict in the community. And so at some point, we're going to have to put on our big boy pants and say, you know what, let's talk about what the Bible really says about these issues and figure out whether we're serious or not about following Jesus Christ. Well, I can't speak to it scientifically, but I can speak to it anecdotally that those churches over the last year, when a lot, year and a half, when many were closed, those that were open preaching the word have exploded. Uh, Because I think you're absolutely right. I think people are looking for the truth. They want to know, how do we interpret? How do we understand what's happening in the world around us? And that's what we're doing at our Center for Biblical Worldview, which you're a part of, and uh, excited about what's happening there. And uh, George, thanks so much for for joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Thank you, Tony. All right. uh, George Barna, Senior Fellow here at our Center for Biblical Worldview. And we have resources available for you uh, on the issues that George talked about, as uh, how to think about uh, immigration, how to think about the life issue, how to think about being politically involved as a believer, uh, the life issue, all of these things from a biblical perspective. And you can find out more about our Center for Biblical Worldview by going to TonyPerkins.com and uh, follow the links over. All of these resources there, you can you can just download and uh, you can use them. All right? And I hope you will. And I hope you'll share them with your friends. Also, also do me a favor. Invite your friends to tune in to Washington Watch so you can hear from, uh, they can hear from the newsmakers themselves. All right. Good to talk with you. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.